Hello, welcome to This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. Uh, this week, I'm hoping this works all okay, because um, we're actually sending this episode out for the first time ever on a new server. Um, shouldn't affect your listening, um, but it uh, it may be slightly delayed um, because of that. I'm not exactly sure how this new server works, but... Uh, Essentially, my old company that worked for uploading the podcast was not doing a very good job and weren't really helping the podcast grow. So we've moved across to a new one. Hopefully, with uh, your guys' help as well, we can improve this podcast even more um, and get more people listening. So the more names I get out there, share and like the video uh, videos, the episodes, sorry, um, reviews on on the page are always a, a great way of getting me uh, getting me noticed and getting people to more people to listen uh, also if you can guys um share it with you know on on facebook or any anything like that anybody who can take a p- specific episode and just share it online it does make a massive difference to me um you know we have had one review come in uh from someone called beer slave which i think is a great uh, tag name just as a great podcast dan's podcast is wonderful he truly knows how to tell a good story uh, his shows are informative well put together and fun to listen to so that's a great uh, five star review there so thank you very much for that one um i have had another couple of comments um just on some of the patreon episodes and where people are just, you know, the last episode we've just put up, which is um, Theodore Roosevelt, there's been a few comments on that one, um, and a few messages just saying, um, basically, what a what a great episode that is. So for those of you who aren't on Patreon, you are missing out, because uh, there are some extra episodes going up there. Um, hopefully, these are, are, are as good as, as people are saying. So yeah, for those of you who aren't on there, get over there, it's $5 a month, um, and you can get access to those those extra shows that we're putting out there now as well. But without further ado, we are going to talk about probably one of the most famous generals in US history. And that is Robert E. Lee. Now, Robert E. Lee is an extremely diverse character, um, a very a, a very famous general. And I think what's more famous about him now is the legacy that he's left behind. Um, you know, he was probably one of the only Confederates that is looked upon quite favourably by the majority of Americans. You know, a lot of Americans do do see him as, as a war hero. And we're going to go into the reasons behind that um, and why he was, why he is so well remembered across the United States and the rest of the world. Now, he had a battle flag, which most people are probably aware of. Most regiments have these flags when they go into battle. Um, unfortunately, Robert E. Lee's battle flag, which we now call the Southern Cross, um, has been taken on by many groups and used in a very negative way. Now, I actually own a Southern Cross flag. Um, I was sent it by one of my listeners. Um, unfortunately, it's not something I can fly. I would love to fly it because I know the real history behind it and what it actually means. Um, but unfortunately, it's got way too much stigma behind it now. So it's um, it's a shame. 
I think that something that has very quite very very much historical history behind it and was not intended or is not intended to be used as a weapon of racism it is just a battle flag for Robert E. Lee's Virginia um, but unfortunately that's what happens uh, we have the same problem in this country with the England flag uh, you you have this stigma around the England flag now at least with uh with the battle flag or with with the southern cross it is it is not the flag of the United States so uh, imagine if it was your flag um that you weren't allowed to fly in your own country because of that um so yeah so the the England flag has a very similar stigma to it anyway 5 minutes in and we haven't actually spoken about the man so Robert E. Lee was born on January the 19th, 1807, and he was born in Virginia. He was born on a plantation called Stratford Hill. His father was a war hero in the Revolutionary War and was known for his bravery during that time. Unfortunately for his father, he lost all of his money. He didn't lose the house, but he left, leaving poor Robert E. Lee to grow up on his own. Now at this time, or I say on his own, with his mother, um, at this time being fatherless in the early sort of 1800s was probably not a very good thing and so, certainly socially it wasn't, uh, it wasn't seen as a good thing. But he was raised by his mother and to all intents and purposes she did a very good job while he was growing up. He was very good at school, uh, very good in philosophy and things like that. He he was very well educated. And because of this, he applied to West Point in 1825 and got in. Now, for those of you who don't know, West Point is the Officers Academy for the U.S. military in the United States. It has been for centuries. It uh, he, he was obviously well received, got in. And actually finished second in his class. So he was extremely clever. He, When leaving West Point, he joined the US Army. And went with a man called Winfield Scott. General Winfield Scott. He was captain for Winfield Scott's Virginia Army. And led many missions uh, for intelligence against the Mexicans. Uh, in the Mexican arm, uh, the Mexican War. Now, <clears throat> Winfield Scott was actually one of the, probably one of the most famous generals prior to Robert E. Lee. He's, he's an extremely famous character, and he's actually quoted to have said that Robert E. Lee was the very best soldier that he ever saw in the field. So that's a that's a hell of a compliment from a man who is. You know, like I said before, Robert E. Lee, probably the most famous general in U in the United States. Now, during the 1800s, they did not have medals. Medals were not a thing. So what they did was promote you. If you showed good progress or you, you something you would have earned a medal for, um, you would be promoted. Now, this is something called brevet promoting and... Robert E. Lee went from captain to major, major to lieutenant colonel, and then from lieutenant colonel to colonel. And this was all during the Mexican War. So that just shows how 
you know how brave he was and how Winfield Scott's evaluation of him was probably pretty accurate. Now, after the American War, he did quite a lot of work for the army and actually became in control or in charge of the 1st Cavalry in Texas. And this was right at the beginning of the Civil War. So, not a general at this point and certainly not in charge of a massive army. And, strangely enough, he was fighting for the United States at this point. Because um, the Confederates hadn't really... You know, this he hadn't really formed 100% at this point. Now, John Brown's attack at Harper's Ferry was one of the sparks that set off the United States Civil War. And at this point, President Buchanan turned around to Robert E. Lee and said, it is your job to go and sort this mess out. Him, along with uh, J.E.B. Green, another another man who was part of his battalion, I would say. I don't know if they're classed as a battalion, cavalry. But anyway, they took a small group of Marines and captured the uh, the terrorists, and including um, John Brown. So they, they did their job, um, and they did exactly what they were told to do. And they did it very, very fast. You know, they were given their orders... And it didn't take them very long to execute that. And that is mainly because of the fact that, like I said, Robert E. Lee was such a great general and soldier. He he knew exactly what to do at the right time. But as the United States was gearing up for its civil war, many officers, including Robert E. Lee, were put in an extremely difficult situation. Do they side with the government in which... They have, you know, pledged allegiance, uh, carry on their military career that they have worked so hard to get, or do they follow their friends, family, loved ones, and their state? Um, now, I don't really understand the concept of the the love for the state. Um, I would. You know, being from uh, a place that doesn't doesn't have individual states, we have individual counties, um, and we have things like uh, a rivalry, for example, between anyone from Lincolnshire and anyone from Yorkshire. Um, you know, I'm from uh, from Watford in Hertfordshire, and we don't like people from Bedfordshire. So we have like a little rivalry, um, but not to an extent if Hertfordshire, for example, was to break away from England and start an entire civil war, would I jump in and fight for Hertfordshire? Because I don't really care that much. Um, you know, it's just where I'm born. It doesn't really mean anything. But I think in the United States, when you have states that are literally the size, if not bigger, for example, Texas, which I believe is four times bigger than England, um, may even be more than that now I said that, but, you know, you have states that are bigger than my entire country. So, it does make you believe that there is probably more to this sort of loyalty to your state. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if you guys can tell me, um, any Americans out there, just, just let me know what it is about your state that you love and why you would, you know, if, if any of you would, you know, that's another question. Would any of you now um, fight for your state rather than the United States if it came to that? 
Um, because that's that's the question really, and that's the question that that left that Robert E. Lee was left with. Um, he had no choice. He well, he had a he had a very difficult choice, and in his mind, it was no choice at all. He was a Virginian through and through, and on April the nineteenth, eighteen sixty one, Virginia seceded from the Union. When this happened, he was in a in a bit of a turmoil. Um, you know, his daughter actually said that on that particular night he paced up and down his mansion and it was like there was death in the air. She said uh, and the death was his his military career as far as she was concerned because he he'd made that decision that night um that he was going to he was going to he was going to fight for the Confederates because Virginia decided to secede from the Union. Had Virginia stayed part of the um, the United States at that time, I believe he would have stayed and, and fought for the for the U.S. Army, regardless of anything. Um, I don't think for him it was a case of um, like a rebellion. I don't think it was a rebellion uh, for him. I think he was just a proud Virginian and wanted to to follow whatever his state decided to do. So um, I would say for, for Robert E. Lee, compared to most generals, he probably had a slightly harder decision to make. But nonetheless, um, he made that decision and fought for Virginia. Now, his wife actually um, actually said something after the war. This is Mary Randolph Curtis Lee, which was his wife. Um, and she said after the war, my husband wept tears of blood over this terrible war. But as a man of honour and as a Virginian, he must follow the destiny of his state. It was the severest struggle of his life to resign a commission that he had held for 30 years. So this wasn't an easy decision for him, but it was a decision that he had to make. And... I can't imagine being put in that situation because, like I said, we don't have that love for our counties that you have for your states. Um, the funny thing is, is that uh, General Winfield Scott, his general um, previously when he came out of West Point, actually made a petition to Abraham Lincoln prior to Virginia seceding from the Union and said, make this man the general of your army, you know, he will win this war for you, he is that good of a general, um, he will win this war, and, I, and personally, I believe, had Robert E. Lee been the general of the US Army, um, I think the war would have been a lot shorter, a hell of a lot shorter, because realistically, from my own experience, um, one of the main reasons the South lost the war was not due to um, general warfare, it was due to more um, attrition and the fact that they were running out of supplies. Um, you know, I think that was, from the concept I've I've managed to gain um, from my readings of the Civil War, the, the Confederates were probably in the ascension for majority of it, and, and there was a turning point in the Civil War, which happened uh, around Gettysburg, which obviously we have covered um, in an episode. And from my recollection, that's probably one of the first times Robert E. Lee was actually beaten on a battlefield. Um, and I think there were mistakes made there 
which could have uh, ended the war for the Confederates. But after that, um, the the United States military had power over the waterways and things like that, which meant that getting supplies down to the south were were not as easy. I mean, that's 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 how they how they won, and th- you know, looking back on it, thank God they did because um, we just wouldn't have the the same United States that we do now. But like we said, obviously, Robert E. Lee had an extremely difficult decision to make. <clears throat> he actually wrote on, I think it was around the April the 20th, between the 19th and the 20th, um, he resigned his position in the U.S. Army. Now, contrary to much belief, he didn't leave and then join straight to the Confederacy although it was pretty quick he actually wrote a letter or a, a an an insert into like a, a diary and he put with all my devotion to the uni- to the union and the feeling of loyalty and duty of an american citizen i have not been able to make my mind up to raise my hand against my relatives my children my home i have therefore resigned my commission in the army except in the defense of my native state i hope to never draw my sword again he made that decision that if he was to fight as a general in the u.s army he would be fighting against his relatives possibly his children and potentially blowing up his own house should need be um because it was in a rebellion state but he had no intention on drawing his sword against any American soldiers at that point. This lasted two days. On April the 22nd, 1861, he left never to return. He joined the Confederacy and his three sons became Confederate soldiers. Within two weeks, his house had fallen to the United States military. So, yeah, he probably made the right decision at that point, you know, because the U.S. military, for all intents and purposes, once they'd captured Robert E. Lee's home, that was a, that was a pretty big win for them. Because, let's be honest, this man is one of the most famous generals of all time. Obviously, the feeling in America during the Civil War at the start was that this would be a very quick, short-lived war, um, much like they thought in World War One, And believe it or not, World War Two as well. So it's amazing how these things don't actually pan out the way people think. The great man himself actually wrote uh, a bit of a letter um, giving his opinion on the war, and he actually said that... Um, if it comes to a conflict of arms, the war will last at least four years. And that was his own opinion. He believed that the northern politicians didn't accept or appreciate the determination of southern and south politicians. Um, and southern politicians do not appreciate the numbers and the resources of the north. So like I said, very much um, neither side really believed that they were going to lose you know the south didn't realize how realistically outgunned they were and the north didn't realize that actually the determination of these southern states to secede from the union was was massive you know they really really 
hated being called Americans at this point. You know, they they wanted to be the Confederate States of America, and it was a sort of a national belief for the Southern states. Robert E. Lee noticed very quickly into this war that the South was having to take a very defensive stance to stop the Union from entering into the South. He also realised very quickly that Virginia, his home state, was to be the main battleground for this. Now, he was put in charge of West Virginia, and he was actually dubbed Granny Lee in the papers. And this was because, essentially, he retreated quite a lot. He retreated a lot of men out into West Virginia and further out into the mountains. He did this to save the Union, uh, to save the Confederacy and to save the soldiers that they had. After this, he was sent to California. Oh, during this time, his beard turned white, his hair turned white, and the stress of what he was doing finally caught up with him. He was sent to California, essentially, to build a wall. And this is what he did. You know, they built this massive wall to stop the Union Navy blockading the ports and stopping any trade coming in through that way. He was that good at this that his wall actually lasted the entire war. In June 1862, he finally got the position that we know him for. He was put in charge of the Army of Northern Virginia, and he became General Robert E. Lee. Now, at this point, the Confederates were on the back foot in June 1862, and Robert E. Lee started a thing which was known as the Seven Days Campaign. Now, it lasted a little bit longer than seven days, but it was known as the Seven Days Campaign. And on June the 25th, he ordered his Army of Northern Virginia to dig around Richmond and trench into the area. The army uh, run by General McClellan from the, um, from the U.S. Army was closing in on Richmond, and should Richmond fall, uh, all of Virginia would fall. He was that good at building and digging in that they pushed them out. They defeated McClellan at Richmond and pushed them out of northern Virginia and pushed them out to Manassas, where in August they beat them there as well. Robert E. Lee then took it upon himself to keep pushing, and he invaded Maryland. This had not happened during the war. In fact, Robert E. Lee changed the entire tide of the war in less than two weeks. He came out, he stopped the Confederates from being on the back foot, he pushed the Northerners out of Virginia, and even entered into the Union for the first time ever. Lee kept pushing. He was looking at Washington. He had his sights on Washington. If he took Washington, that's it. The war was over. And September the 17th, they had a battle at Antietam. It was a stalemate. There was no discerned winner or loser of that battle, um, which was good for the Union, I would say. Um, I always say when there's a stalemate, the edge goes to the defending army. So in this instance, I would probably say the Battle of Antietam uh, would be more of a Union victory. Um, and this is mainly because um, if you are 
pressing forwards. For example, I'll use American football as an example. If you are in the offense and you are pressing forwards um, and you are stopped on the goal line and the ball's turned over, um, no one's won, no one's lost. It's a you know no no points are scored, but the the defending team is in in the ascendant. So I would say at Antietam and September the seventeenth it would be seen as more of a union victory from my personal point of view. This is probably more backed up by the fact that after the Battle of Antietam, um, General E. Lee withdrew his troops uh, to the southern side of the Potomac. But within a few weeks, he had another battle and he defeated the General Ambrose Burnside um, at Fredericksburg in Virginia, again pushing the southern army further and further north. In early 1863, uh, Lee lost his right-hand man, Stonewall Jackson. Now, Jackson was doing a reconnaissance mission uh, in which he was shot by a sharpshooter. Um, the bullet sort of... Well, I mean, it didn't really... It wasn't a fatal... Well, it was... A, how do we explain this? It was. He was grazed by a bullet, Um but due to medication and things like that at the time, uh, that wound festered and ended up becoming very, uh, well, becoming fatal. Um, it wasn't a fatal wound in the sense that he was shot through the chest or shot through the, the, the forehead. Um, he was grazed and it, uh, it got a lot worse infected and, uh, Stonewall Jackson died. Um, a lot of people say that this was a bit, a bit mental. He was, he was a general. Um, he did, had no business out there doing reconnaissance missions. But the the Confederate Army, the generals and the the lieutenants and things like that, had a tendency to go out and do their own reconnaissance. Okay, um, this is mainly because they wanted to see what was going on on the battlefield. Um, the belief that if they could see it with their own eyes rather than trusting someone else's opinion. Um, and it worked for them. It was a massive success for them. You know, Robert E. Lee did his own reconnaissance missions most of the time. And let's be honest, guys, he was a resounding success. Unfortunately for Robert E. Lee, with the loss of his right-hand man, he had to win this war pretty much on his own. Undeterred, Robert E. Lee carried on his march. He pushed forwards into Chancellorsville, and this is one of the most famous battles in U.S. history. At the Battle of Chancellorsville, Robert E. Lee's uh, Northern Virginian Army was outnumbered two to one. Essentially, he had no chance of winning this battle, but he did. Now, I will do an episode on Chancellorsville. Um, it's it's a great great story. He did win the battle. And this cemented him as one of his most famous victories. Robert E. Lee pushed forwards. He made a decision that this war was going to end in one place. One battle to end the entire war. Once he won this battle, the North would have to surrender. There is no way they would be able to, to carry on. He would be that close to Washington that he could almost taste it. And they went to Gettysburg. Now, Gettysburg is the most famous battle of the U.S. Civil War. Um, I have done an episode on it. So if you haven't heard the Battle of Gettysburg, 
go back and listen to it. I'm not going to bore you with all of the details of it now. He sent his entire force there. The whole Army of Northern Virginia was there, ready to take the Union, and they lost. Okay, they lost at Gettysburg, and the whole Civil War turned on its head after that battle. Up until Gettysburg, the South were winning. Okay, they were pushing back. They were pushing uh, the the United States Army out of the South. They were in the state that Washington D.C. I know. Well, I know Washington D.C. has is his own state, but you know what I mean. They were they were within touching distance of Washington D.C. They were in Maryland. They were pushing back. They went through Pennsylvania. They were there. They were on the doorstep, knocking. And the Union stopped them at Gettysburg. The loss at Gettysburg was monumental. And Robert E. Lee blamed himself. Uh, He was outnumbered. He failed to press the Union when he had the chance. Um, He just lost his best general. It it wasn't really a a battle that he was 100% to blame. But he blamed himself. Um, In fact, he actually offered his resignation... Um, from the from the Confederate Army, he he wrote, "Mr. President, no one is more than myself of my inability for the duties of my position. I cannot even accomplish what I myself desire. How can I fulfil the expectations of others? In addition, I sensibly feel the growing failure of my bodily strength. In other words, I want out. I'm not good enough to." hold this position anymore and you should put somebody else in place his letter was refused Uh, they realized that they were never going to be able to replace robert e lee he was the best general that they had and his army withdrew from gettysburg south of the potomac never to return to the north again and to make matters worse for robert e lee the Union finally found a worthy adversary, adversary, try saying that when you're drunk, for Robert E. Lee in the shape of General Ulysses S. Grant, another man who I will be covering probably after this one. Um, this man was an adversary worthy of taking on Robert E. Lee. The first thing he did when taking control of the army was hand a notice to General Meade, the general of the Army of the Potomac. And his one sentence that was given to them was, Lee's army will be your objective point. Wherever Lee goes, there you will go also. In other words, you are going to be the thorn in his side for the rest of the war. And that was Ulysses S. Grant, and that was how he planned on dealing with Lee. Ulysses S. Grant pursued Robert E. Lee everywhere. He beat him in many, many battles. He they, There was a few where Robert E. Lee did get the upper hand, but he, he pinned Robert E. Lee down in Petersburg, Virginia. There was nowhere for him to go. Um, they circled him around. The, he, his his um, army was stuck you know Ulysses S. Grant uh, General Grant just he dominated 
Robert E. Lee's army. Um, and that was it. You know, Robert was left in a position where there wasn't much he could do. You know, he'd been pinned down, he couldn't move, and he found out that his home in Arlington, Virginia, um, had actually been seized by the United States military. It had been seized for unpaid taxes, obviously, because he hadn't been paying tax to, to them. He'd been paying it to the Confederates. And they turned his house into a cemetery. Um, they actually, the orders were given to have the graves um, as close to the house that it can never be used as a, a home again, basically. Um, no one would ever want to live there again because the cemetery is far too close to the house. And you can actually find pictures of Arlington if you've ever been there. Um, it is now Arlington Cemetery, but that was Robert E. Lee's home um, prior to the war. Lee's army was battered, bruised and broken. Uh, in 1864, they ran out of rations. They, they were starving. April uh, 1865, Lee rode to Appomattox Courthouse in Virginia and surrendered. He didn't want to see his men die of starvation. I suppose, um, I suppose anyone would would be the same. And uh, he surrendered the the Confederacy, and they lost the war. So that's the story of, of Robert E. Lee at the war, but what happened to him after the war? I mean, most people know this story. Most people know Robert E. Lee's backstory, where he came from, where he, what he did during the Civil War, but how many people know what happened after that, uh, that surrender? Two letters were written, one from Ulysses S. Grant and one from Robert E. Lee. Grant wrote, General, the result of the last week must convince you of the hopelessness of further resistance in this struggle. I regard it as my duty to shift from myself the responsibility of any further effusion of blood by asking you to surrender the Army of Northern Virginia. Very respectfully, U.S. Grant. Lee's reply was, General Grant... Though not entertaining the opinion you express on the hopelessness of further resistance on the part of the Army of Northern Virginia, I reciprocate your desire to avoid useless affission of blood, and therefore ask the terms you will offer in condition of this surrender. Very respectfully, Robert E. Lee. In other words, he is saying that I will surrender on the fact that the terms are good. Okay, I will not surrender. It's not completely hopeless. I will not surrender everything and, you know, if the terms are bad, um, it's, this isn't hopeless. We, you know, we still have an army, but I think the war's gone on too far now and maybe we should stop this bloodshed. So, it was uh, Lee's reply was not, I would say, not an unconditional surrender, um, but it was, 
it was definitely a surrender. And just to give you an idea of the respect for Robert E. Lee, after the signing of this on April the 9th, the signing of the surrender, he left the courthouse, ironically, uh, to cheers. Uh, the Confederate soldiers were stood outside. Um, they cheered Robert E. Lee for what he'd done. The Union soldiers that were outside saluted Robert E. Lee. Um, the first General Ulysses S. Grant took his hat off um, and saluted Robert E. Lee. Um, he was seen as a hero. Um, considering what he'd just done, uh, considering that he'd surrendered... Um, I can't tell you from my experience in history any other general that surrendered and was cheered afterwards. Um, it just doesn't doesn't happen like that. So he was that well respected that people really, you know, they loved him. And, and to this day, like I said, he is still probably the most famous general in US history. I would say Ulysses S. Grant is is a very close second. Um, there's a debate there. Maybe maybe Ulysses S. Grant pips him a little bit, but either way, um, from that era, um, they are probably the two most famous generals. Um, but Robert E. Lee, like I said, he he carried on his uh, his career afterwards. You know, he he left the military on the basis that. Um, no one in the South was ever to take up arms against the Union. Again, that was the terms of the surrender. Um, and he was allowed to go back to, to normal life. After the war, Robert E. Lee became president of Lexington College in West Virginia. Um, he also wrote his memoirs. Um, and in it, he actually wrote, I did only what my duty demanded. I could have taken no other course without dishonor. And if it were to be done over again, I should act in precisely the same manner. He believed everything he did was the right thing to do. He was torn in two at the start of the Civil War. Does he go and fight for his friends, family, um, loved ones, fight for his state, for his house, for his home? Or does he carry the torch and fight for the U.S. military against his friends, family? It's such a hard decision to make. And in his memoirs, he he obviously believed that he made the right decision. And to be fair, looking back, I would say he probably did. Uh, September the 28th, 1870, Robert E. Lee contracted a cold he was to pass away 14 days later. His funeral was in Lexington, Virginia, and it was attended by thousands, as I'm sure you can imagine. These thousands came from the North and the South. Everybody from all over the Union decided to ascend on Virginia for Robert E. Lee's funeral. He was a an amazing general there's no denying that whether you like him whether you dislike him whether you see him as a war hero or just a rebel um he was 
he was he was a good general. He was one of the best generals that ever graced American soil. He will be remembered for the Battle of Gettysburg. Um, I believe that is his biggest defeat. Well, not I believe it is his biggest defeat, but it is what he is known for more than anything. Um, which is a strange thing for me to to understand when you just take a, a little back step and talk about a general who is known for his biggest defeat, but yet is still seen as one of the best generals ever to live. Um, and that just shows you how good and how well-respected he actually was. Um, he was a man of honour and pride, and he will be remembered. Uh, unfortunately, like I said, his his battle flag has been taken on by certain groups in the US and, and made into something that it was not not intended to be so um unfortunately a lot of people don't well i mean a lot of people don't even see it as that a, a lot of people see it as the confederate flag i've heard people call it the confederate flag well it isn't the confederate flag it is robert e lee's battle flag of the army of northern virginia um but it has got that stigma to it so uh, i won't be flying it in in my uh, my front garden but um, I'm sure some people somewhere do. I know it is still popular in the South, um, but it, I think in the South, again, a lot of people don't actually realise uh, what they're flying. They don't realise they're, they're flying the flag of Northern Virginia, the Army of Northern Virginia. They they think they're flying um, just, yeah. Well, anyway, we'll leave that where it is. Um, I... I think if people know the history behind things, they, they may have different opinions. But um, unfortunately, that's not how the world works. And that's why you guys come to me every week just to find out something new. So thank you very, very much for joining me this week. Um, like I said at the start, we do have Patreon. Get yourselves over there for $5 a month and you get access to some new shows Um uh, like I said, there have been some good ones. I may even put a little taster up soon on one of the shows, one Patreon episode. I might just, you know, give you uh, onto this feed just so you guys can have a listen and, and see if it's uh, something you, you believe it's worth paying the extra £5 or $5 or whatever it is that your currency is to to listen to me so um thank you very much guys the new episode that i put out a few weeks ago or the new podcast i said i mentioned last week um of bedtime stories it is up and available so if you do feel that you want to listen to some uh, soothing bedtime stories that aren't history based um if you search into your podcast app bedtime stories with dan the viking uh you will find me on there so you'll be able to listen to some bedtime stories there are only i believe two or three up there at the moment um i don't know if the third one's actually been uploaded yet but there's definitely two on there um and they we've started with the brothers grim fairy tales so we have started with some stories that you probably know a little bit about so um yeah get yourselves over there and have a listen to that let me know what you think um it's completely separate to this podcast uh it's nothing to do with history 
Um, so yeah, let me know what you think. But thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next week. Bye bye. <laughs>